the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. Uh, lots to talk about. Um, I can see there's a lot of stress in the market right now. Don't let it get to you. Um, have a plan. That's the number one thing that you have to have, like some sort of focus. Are you 30? Why do you care about the market than today? Are you 60? You darn well better care about the market today. Uh, if you're 70 and 80, you too late to have a plan. Too too late to create a plan. Well, you could still create a plan, but you're caught in a bad situation, in my opinion. So a couple stories of note. Um, Twitter's opening up its mobile ad network. It's introducing video. That's a good thing. Um, Twitter's making its mobile ad network available to a wider group of marketers and introducing new ad formats. What they really need to do is try to give themselves you know, some direction a lot of people log on to Twitter, sign up for the service, and then they find it's a little bit too much. It's a little bit too, um, like, like if you miss a day of tweets, let's say, let's say I'm your favorite host or your favorite person on Twitter, and you've got like 19 other people that you're following, and you kind of can get lost in it pretty easily. So they need to figure that out. And it's part of what they do, are doing. They've got a project called Project Lightning. Again, I'm not going to get excited, but and I don't want you to get excited <laughs> because you want to see some traction in results before you get excited. But you can see that some things are starting to open up at Twitter, which is good. Um, they're taking promoted tweets, promoted videos, and mobile app promotion products into the world outside of Twitter. Um, they've got a platform that will reach a total of about 700 million monthly users, around 300 million on Twitter and 400 million across partner apps. Um, social networking and online ad giant Facebook made a similar mobile ad product widely available in 2014. Last week, Facebook said that it would introduce autoplay video ads to the network because the format performed so well on its services. 
So kind of like what we're seeing a little bit. This is interesting. More foods are boasting non-GMO labels, even those without GMOs. Consumer concern grows over genetically modified products. Um, I think it's a great thing that we have become much more conscious about what we eat, in large part due to the Internet. We can see um, the stories and the, the, the products so much more clear than in the past, and that's given the rise to fresher, more organic, uh, more organic. <laughs> when you say food, food should be organic, right? Um, it's just created a better product. But now we're starting to take it a little too far. There's a company called Evolution Salt. They're slapping a label on its package of Himalayan salt proclaiming that there's no genetically modified organisms. It shouldn't have any genetically modified organisms because salt has no genes. So we're now starting to get to the point of marketing where it's kind of like, oh, you got me on that one. You got me, the Himalayan salt company. Nice work. The drought in California has cost the state economy about $2.7 billion this year, and 21,000 jobs as the four-year drought continues in the nation's most populous state. I've heard that, and this came out last week, that Godzilla El Nino is coming. So you can use as much water as you want. Don't believe the, don't believe the sort of people out there. Don't water your lawn. Psh, water your yard. Rob Black has a sense of sarcasm. Please note... Um, the biggest hit comes in agriculture for California. It will lose about $1.8 billion this year. The rest comes from ripple effects across the state's economy. Almost half of the job loss is 10,000 in seasonal agricultural jobs. In addition, the drought is going to force 542,000 acres to lie fallow, nearly all in the Central Valley. This year's economic loss is greater than last year's $2.2 billion cost. Um, Despite all that, the state's agriculture economy remains strong, mainly because of California's huge but shrinking reserves of groundwater. Those reserves offset the shortage of surface water in the state's reservoirs. Um, elsewhere out there in the world of news, news that you can use. Um, someone asked me the other day if I liked Home Depot more or Lowe's. And that's like picking a child. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, Home Depot has performed better than its rival. Over the near term, both companies' prospects are bright as long as the pace of employment growth holds up and as long as interest rates stay low and as long as the housing numbers you know, reflect both of that. Both the stocks are pricey, though. They've had massive two-year runs. Um, Home Depot reported a 15% decline in second quarter earnings. No, no, no. Walmart. Um, so Home Depot and Lowe's are faring much better than Walmart. Target doing okay. Uh, Home Depot said that comparable same stores for the second quarter were about four, up 4.2%, so they're pretty good. Lowe's about about 4.3. So in the end, I like Home Depot a little bit more because they got more better contractor business than Lowe's. And, you know, it's something that they said, hey, contractors, park your big trucks outside, come on in, eat at our food trucks, and... Uh, We'll help you as much as we can. Order what you need. So they've done a good job of that. Bernstein did an interesting note. Research note. Bernstein's a big research house. They call TV a structurally, a structurally impaired asset. An asset's impaired if it's worth less than it's being accounted for. With that lost value expected to never come back. That's a pretty big call. 
they think ad-supported TV business is structurally impaired. I believe that TV is undeniably in a secular decline. I know people under 35 who don't have cable, don't want to ever have cable television. Affiliate fees are now also being put at increased risk when an industry is undergoing a massive structural upheaval. One major revenue stream is already impaired. And now there's signs the second one may be as well. There was a point in time where shows like Seinfeld would get 23 million eyeballs a night. Now network TV is lucky to get 2 to 3 million. And it's considered a hit at 4 million. So I don't think investors will wait long for final conclusive evidence to reevaluate how much they're willing to pay for the existing status quo cash flow streams. Um, this analyst at Bernstein downgraded big giants Time Warner and Disney, which own the industry crown jewels HBO and ESPN. Um, I think HBO eventually has to get spun off from Time Warner, just FYI. Affiliate fees are the big problem here. And ESPN's warning now out there is put some, you know, questions into affiliate fees. Affiliate fees are what your cable company pays networks like ESPN and TNT. Um, ESPN gets up roughly six bucks per subscriber, even if it's even if it's a 95-year-old grandmother who watches, you know, the news all day long, CNN. I like that Brian Williams. He's a good-looking man. That woman pays six bucks to ESPN in most, in a lot of cases. So there, that's viewed as very reliable, much more so than ad revenue, because cable companies lock you into that Byzantine multi-year contract when you sign up for cable. Uh, the market's decision to fast forward to the inevitable conclusion, start valuing these businesses as if they're declining assets, is going to be very interesting. And it makes me question my investment in Disney. Doesn't make me question my investment in Nike, but Disney, yeah. Well, maybe Nike, because what if the sports contracts all start getting blown up and reset lower? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Susan Antilla, founding fellow with the Street Foundation, award-winning journalist. How are you, Susan? I'm good. How are you, Rob? Good. I'm always interested. When you won an award, what did you win the award for? <laughs> um, a few awards this year for my columns at the Street, um, especially some work that I did on... Uh, Financial abuse of the elderly, which is a topic I care a lot about. Good. I like that because uh, the elderly, as we get older, we can't read and see the details of the contracts we sign. And there's <laughs> well, a lot of financial too, abuse. Yes, and a lot of people are lined up to take advantage of that when we're when we're not as uh, sharp as we used to be. You seem to be have a consumer advocate feel to you. You've done extensive research on financial investment companies. You've got a new piece out. Uh, let's talk about it a little bit. 
it's tied uh, towards Vanguard, which yeah, will Vanguard, open a lot of eyeballs. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, as I said, it'll open up a lot of eyeballs because Vanguard's kind of pretty well known and pretty well established. Yes, it is well known with, um, I think, 20 million customers. So a lot of people uh, have accounts there, and so there's a lot of money at stake. But I recently, a couple months ago, um, a woman who works there who's a whistleblower um, came to me, and she said that she is very concerned about the security of customers' accounts and that she had gone to management um, on several occasions to point out problems and really hadn't gotten anywhere. What's that mean, the security of someone's accounts? Because I've got money at Fidelity. I've got money at TD Ameritrade. I don't at Vanguard. But I've got money at close relatives, per se, of Vanguard. Well, in her case, um, this woman had pointed out three very specific problems. Um, One was that Vanguard has uh, something called voice verification, where if you want to be able to deal with somebody over the telephone and transfer money out or in, um, you can just go, you can just get on the phone with them and you speak into a recording a couple of times. I think the sentence is, at Vanguard, my voice is my password or something like that. And they make a voice print. And once you've done that, you can call up and you get Joe, the customer service guy on the phone, and you say, Joe, I, you know, I want to take $1,000 out and put it in my uh, Bank of America account, and Joe just does that because you have passed the voice print. And this whistleblower, whose name is Karen Brock, um, got a phone call one day from a customer who was furious who said that he had set up this voice ID thing, and he wanted to test it to be sure it worked. And so he had his son call in and try to sound like his father. And the son got right into the system and could have done anything he wanted in the account. So that was one troubling problem that she pointed out. Um, another problem was, um, you know, there were training sessions last summer and fall for a new personal advisory service that Vanguard was going to be um, launching. And so they had groups of people, groups of about 12 uh, phone reps at a time, would go in for training and they passed out a 97-page booklet to um, to the to the people who were in there, and Ms. Brock went into this training session. She opened up the book. She started leafing through it, and she found personal information, account numbers, um, account balances, names of clients, phone numbers, and basically the redaction uh, process was not done properly, and so... Um, you know, she raised her hand and said, hey, we've got a problem with this book. And ultimately, Vanguard printed a new one. But in the meantime, you know, dozens of people who worked at Vanguard had gotten these books with um, customer information. But the most interesting and, and maybe most troubling thing is that if you're a Vanguard customer, you you know those um, those security questions, Rob, that we all have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they ask you, what street did you grow up on or what was your dog's name and that kind of thing. Um, those are personal security questions that go beyond your password. And Ms. Brock found out that um, you could enter those words and get typos of one or two characters, deliberately put typos in it, and you could still access your account. And, um, and, you know, that's a real problem, security, security experts tell me. That sort of introduces a vulnerability into the um, security system of the firm. And, um, 
that a firm like Vanguard, if you tell them that your dog's name is Fido, that should be the only thing they accept, F-I-D-O. So those were the those were the main things that she's been complaining about. Is there going to be a fix to this? Like, is cybersecurity going to settle down in my lifetime? Because it's kind of gone crazy in the last 18 to 24 months, but I'm kind of waiting for better technologies to develop, fingerprint sensors, eyeball sensors. Um, are we going to get there? Well, you know, here's the thing. We have a lot of stuff right now, right? We have something called, which is very effective, two-factor authentication, where you may have some accounts where they give you the option of, um, having a text message sent to you with a special password every time you log in, that's a great security measure. Um, and interestingly, financial firms, as far as I know, I don't know of anyone who makes you use that. They offer it as an option. And this is where there's a real rub here. You can make security as tight as you want, but if you don't execute it tightly, um, you know, you're, you're shortchanging your customers. And what I'm getting at is that firms will, they don't want it so tight that customers have problems logging in and have to call somebody on the phone to get back into their account. And so they loosen some of this stuff up. I, you know, um, my impression is that at Vanguard, the reason they allow typos is that they don't want people making fat finger mistakes, as we call them, and then you know, getting on the phone and having to get a representative to help them get back into their account. So, you know, there's this rub between um, between security and convenience. And um, one of the people I talked to, he actually, actually used to run um, the Internet Enforcement Division of the Securities and Exchange Commission. He said, you know, you start to wonder if we should deal with this the way we dealt with seatbelts, inconvenience everybody, like just max out on security. Um, so people don't have a choice because financial firms, nobody wants to be the firm that has the tightest security because that's going to be the firm that loses customers. They're going to go someplace else. Is there anything else from the story, Susan, that we should know? Well, I think if, if investors want to know how to be safe, the smartest thing that they can do is find their firm's online security guarantee because a lot of the firms, including Vanguard, um, they have these you know, so-called 100% guarantee, although that's not really what they call it. They have to say that they tell you that they guarantee your money if it's stolen online, but these are all partnerships, really. They'll guarantee it as long as you do certain things. Um, in Vanguard's case, they want to make sure that you don't have a password you use anywhere else, and I mean, certainly a lot of us use passwords over and over. Um, they want to sure. make sure that all of your software is up to date, your firewall stuff is up to date, and I think that if you really want to know how to stay safe, you've got to look at those lists that companies tell you because these companies all have insurance companies, right? And their insurers are telling them, this is what you got to tell your customers to do before we're going to, you know, give them a reimbursement. And, you know, I got to cut you off. Wanna... We're out of time. It's Susan Antilla, founding fellow at the Street Foundation. You can find her articles at thestreet.com. If you email me, rob at robblack.com, I'll send a copy of it out to you.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. But joining me now, Chris Siaccia, tech editor for thestreet.com. How are you, Chris? Good, Rob. How are you doing today? Doing well. It's good to hear your voice again. Uh, you always bring up topics that are interesting uh, to me, which is going to be interesting to our audience because we're so tech-heavy out here in the Bay Area. But uh, Tesla was brought up recently, and uh, I think it was during a conference call. Someone asked Tesla, kind of like, hey, could you do that whole Uber thing? And it, you wrote an article on it. Tell us what you came up with. Yeah, an analyst at Morgan Stanley asked Elon a very interesting question on whether instead of selling you know, Model S's directly to Uber, because Uber's CEO has come out and said that he wants to buy you know, the autonomous version of the Model S, whether Tesla would consider you know, skipping Uber and just going straight to the consumer. And Elon kind of danced around that question, didn't really answer it. Um, so Morgan Stanley seems to think that you know, down the line, Morgan or Tesla is going to build their own version of an Uber, which caused them to raise the price target by uh, around a hundred dollars or so, making it the highest on Wall Street. So there is the potential that Tesla decides to take on Uber, you know, in the next couple of years. Now, what do you think that'll look like? Because Tesla's got their fingers everywhere right now. They were building a gigafactory. They're getting a new SUV ready, they're ramping up the Model S, um, they've got the the home unit that you can now start buying to recapture your own energy and sell it back to the energy companies or use it yourself when it's cheaper for you to use it than for the energy company to provide it. Do you think they got a little too much going on or too much speculation or is this all in their scope? No, I, I think it's all in their scope. I think it's all intertwined. I don't think the their own version of an Uber is going to come anytime soon, probably not anytime before 2018 or 2019, which would then I feel like almost kind of put them at a, a little bit of a disadvantage if Uber becomes this enormous company as we all think it will be. Um, but for right now, I think they're, they're, you know, they're going through some growing pains um, like any young company, especially a young auto company is. But I don't think it's related to the fact of having too many, uh, too many pots in the kitchen I think it's just simply the fact that, you know, building a car is hard and, you know, they're learning as they go and there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. And the energy business is ancillary to what they've been doing, you know, for the past dozen or so years. So it's not, and it doesn't take, you know, an extra skill set or permanent uh, expert addition of expertise to what they're doing with cars. So it's just, something that's ancillary, and it's just going to generate a whole bunch of revenue for them, according to Elon. Anything else inside this Tesla story that we need to flesh out? I think that if Elon is, and Tesla are really serious about going up against Uber, uh, I think it needs to happen before 2018 or 2019, uh, because Uber has this enormous network of drivers that have their own cars already, there's no real reason for them to go out and buy the Model 3 or, or Model S or whatever Tesla decides to make uh, available for autonomous. So if they're going to do something, they need to do it quick. Otherwise, it's going to be a missed opportunity for them. 
You've also recently penned a piece tied towards Time Warner and tied towards Apple Television. We've kind of heard through the media that Apple Television might not be happening as far as the product of a streaming service. What are you learning on all this? I think that it, when, if and when the service does come out, which I'm hearing you know, probably early or middle next year in, in 2016, that it's really going to be beneficial for companies and the media companies that have sports. And there are no better companies that have sports that I can think of than Time Warner and Disney. Time Warner really benefit because, you know, they have two channels that that cater to both baseball and basketball in TNT and TBS. ESPN is, you know, you know the, the golden child for sports, but TNT and TBS have really been amping up their sports coverage. You know they they lost NASCAR, which is which is a little bit of a drawback, but they've also added, um, you know, this enormous basketball contract that'll last you know for several years. So you know, assuming Apple does get into the streaming business, you know, I would suspect that TNT and TBS will be two of the bigger channels uh, that are part of the service, along with ESPN. What do you think is happening right now in television with the whole carriage fees? and The way you and I grew up on television, we started with three networks, and then there was a fourth network. Um, then there was 500 networks. What do you think it's going to look like in 5, 10, 15 years? In five years, I think it's not going to look too much different than what it looks like now. Maybe we'll see some consolidation. A few smaller channels might go by the wayside. Ten years is anybody's guess. Um, but I, I think that, you know, I think we'll see, you know, the, the continuation of on-demand viewing happening. I think we'll start to see some more a la carte um, viewing, you know, services like Sling and whatever Apple does with their service and Sony View. And I'm sure eventually Google will get into the game as well, will, uh, will be more prevalent than they have been in the past. These so-called skinny bundles, you know, the majority of, of the people that these are geared towards are young professionals, millennials, people 22 to 34, so people just straight out of college or, you know, with a little bit of work experience that don't want to spend $150, $200 a month on a cable bill, but they're willing to spend 50 for, you know, their best, their favorite channels, Um and then, you know, 70 or $80 a month on broadband. So they might not be saving a whole lot of money, but it's a digital clutter in their lives that are gone, and they feel a little bit better about that. Okay. Anything else that we need to know, do you think, from this Apple story and uh, rolling out services down the road? I, I think what you're seeing right now in, in terms of the media names, I think that it would be probably in their best interest to really work with Apple as fast as they possibly can to get this service out because they need some kind of good publicity. There really hasn't been anything in the past few weeks, and stocks tend to trade on perception, at least in the short term. You know, fundamentals will always win out in the long term, but they need some kind of good publicity, at least, you know, within the next couple of months. Otherwise, it's going to be tough if you're a media investor. Thanks very much for joining us. That's Chris Siaccio with TheStreet.com, uh, tech editor, and he writes great articles, and he's writing about art articles that we care about. This is what I find, you know, the best part about my job is, you know, we 
kind of get to stay young by studying. Um, it's not like college, but it's pretty darn close. What people like he and I end up doing for a living. Gold climbs for a second day. This is a big story after an FOMC boost and or maybe not boost, right? Gold futures climbed, hitting uh, getting a little dovish Federal Reserve minutes. And as a slide in global stock markets increased the metal safe haven appeal, gold is gold. That's the interesting thing about commodities. There, you know, a pound of gold is a pound of gold. A ton of gold is a ton of gold. And you can't decrease the value of it by saying, I'm going to... I'm going to increase the amount of gold in the world by, you can't make it. <laughs> it's it's kind of fixed, right? Um, unlike the dollar, unlike the, 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 the yuan, unlike, you know, the euro. There's very little manipulation that can be done. There could be more mines open and stuff like that. And you can get into the wedding seasons in Asia that kind of really spike things around. But um, am I a proponent of gold? I am not. Uh, if it were to go to 5,000, and it's currently at 1136, would I feel bad that I did, wasn't part of that train? No. Uh, gold, to me, is is a bad way to play the markets. Yeah, there's some volatility right now, but there's also some signs that you should be buying stocks instead of selling at this point. And I'd rather you pay attention to those indicators and try to figure out, should you be buying small companies? Should you be buying consumer products? Should you be buying... Uh, uh, Financials, if the Fed does raise interest rates, financials are going to be kind of where you want to be. Um, but also, like I said, there's a couple indicators you really want to pay attention to. The investor's intelligence bull bear ratio, it pulls investment pros on their market outlooks. It fell last week for a third week in a row to a 10-month low of a 2.16 reading. A 2 reading is a clear buy signal as far as uh, history goes. We're getting to the point where more people are just going, like, I'm really scared of this market. Oh, I'm I'm really scared of this market. Uh, China, U.S., you, go, you get the idea. Um, but there's also, like, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, the put-to-call ratio, which is three, on a three-day basis, recently rose to a 0.8 rating above the 0.7, is a bullish because it represents excessive pessimism. The Ned Davis research crowd sentiment poll recently showed extreme pessimism, also bullish in the contrarian case. Essentially, people get fearful uh, a little bit too late and or in mass, and that creates a buying opportunity. So bullish insiders. Several insider sell-buy ratios have recently turned bullish as measured by the Vickers Weekly Insider. Uh, Basically, the number of uh, one-week sell-buy ratio just fell to 1.32 reading. Um, there's a lot of good things going on out there. The jobs number in the United States, pretty good. Not great, pretty good. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, and there's a lot to talk about today. Audi is set to rival Tesla's much-anticipated Model X with the unveiling of an electric car with a range of over 310 miles. Described by the carmaker as a sporty SUV, the e-tron Quattro concept car will be unveiled at next month's International Motor Show. I don't own shares of Tesla, but that's those motor shows would make me nervous and scared if I did. Um, in the end, Tesla's going to be a manufacturing company. They manufacture cars. Maybe in the end, they'll also have some other angles like battery storage, yes. Batteries, yes, that they can supply to other companies. Um, self-driving cars, yes. Um, so there's, you kind of have to say, okay, on one hand, you build a case and you continue to build a case that will help you deconstruct the case and sell it when the time comes. If you like Tesla because they're the only ones doing high-end electric cars, you'll like Tesla less if someone else starts doing high-end electric cars. If you like Tesla because their revenues look good, you'll like Tesla less if their revenues start to slow. And there's going to be no one answer that wins the battle for you. You should know that. Um, there should be no one answer or flag that says, I'm going to buy. You have to, like, put this all into perspective. Um, so I would say it's the same thing with dating. Like, you don't just be the first person you meet. You build a case. Are they nice? Do they have morals that are similar to mine? Do they have spending habits that are similar to mine? Is there passion? Is there compassion? And you build a case. Um, and then, you know, let's say that person becomes bitter and jaded and they lose their compassion and you lose your passion for that person. That's when you end up getting a divorce uh, more often than not. So Fitbit, change the topic, it kind of become synonymous with fitness tracking right now. Companies' coffers are flush with cash. They've got $732 million after their IPO. Um, so they have lots of money to do lots of exciting things right now. The number one fitness watch right now is the iWatch. But Fitbit is perceived as the number one, but no. Um, so studying Fitbit, it was founded in 2007. Um Obviously, the numbers are going to look great. Revenue increased 253% to $400 million on sales of 4.5 million Fitbits. As many of the companies you know, sold in the entire year of 2013, they sold last quarter. So they've got the $150 charge HR and the $250 surge. So they've got kind of an ecosystem that they're setting up. And how will they compete ultimately with Apple? Consumers have a clear grasp of, you know, the practical uses. Um, I have a Fitbit, and it's kind of stupid, to be quite honest with you. Whether it's Jawbone, Nike's Fuel Band, Garmin, there's a lot of guys out here doing this. And my Fitbit tells me my heart rate, which is great because I like to change up my uh, exercises. I like to do some peak training. I like to do some fat burning training. I like to do some cardio training. I like to do some interval training. And it's, you know, great I don't even know if it's accurate, but it's close enough, I would imagine, right? So Fitbit's online store 
does well, but they also sell like at Best Buy and Target. They're impossible for shoppers to miss, which is a positive. They need to be careful and not try to go too much for feature bloat, uh, because quite honestly, you know, some of this is over all of our heads. 40% of fitness tracker buyers abandon their device within six months. Um, but that would still leave a majority of people enmeshed in the ecosystem, and they need to make their ecosystem now. Um, Jawbone's got a wonderful app. Fitbit's got an okay app. It's okay to blah. So we'll continue watching that, and uh, we'll see how they obviously continue to grow. Uh, one Federal Reserve member, um, Williams, President John Williams, uh, he warned that using monetary policy to directly target a rise in housing prices in an economy that otherwise argues against cutting back on monetary policy stimulus could be painful. So basically he's saying we need to be careful not to raise interest rates just to slow down housing prices because as interest rates rise, home prices should go lower because one of the reasons they've been attractive in the last six uh, years is tied towards the low cost of money. Um, you know, my mortgage on a $1.5 million home is smaller with a 4% loan than it is with a 5% loan. And it becomes downright unaffordable at a 55 6% loan. So if the housing sector and the overall economy are both booming, tighter monetary policy may, have, may serve to reduce both the risks of the financial system and keep activity from exceeding desired levels. But it, it may not. Um, and again, I think some people would welcome lower housing prices. Housing has picked up since crashing during the Great Recession, but the gains have come at levels that concern policymakers. The main driver of the push to boost rates is the decline in the housing, uh, in the jobless rate. And a sense that the economy has improved enough to no longer need a monetary policy stance set in emergency circumstances. But they're going to have that, they're going to have trouble combating surging housing prices. Um, Housing prices rose by 50% in the five years leading up to the peak of home prices in 2006. So just even getting back to 2006 levels would be great uh, as far as affordability goes. But we're well past that in most markets, not all markets. And some markets haven't even come close to coming back to their 2006 levels. So it's, it's a shotgun, to say the least, out there. It's not a, a, it's not a precision bullet. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Jennifer Lawrence. She wants me to be my, she wants to be my girlfriend. I, I take her. <laughs> Highest paid actress of 2015. She earned 52 million dollars over the last 12 months. Of course, it gets taxed, but not too shabby, huh? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.